back like we never left. It's DMS, it's Double Move Sports, it's Steph Albiero, it's Alex Lott, the fantasy phenom. We've been on the grind with these mock drafts. It's time to start throwing our takes out there, get back into what we love to do here, what started this channel two seasons ago. We're getting to some player takes today, and it's it's hot button topics that everyone yes. has questions about, and, and we got the spice for you today on this episode. Alex, you ready to get into this thing? Yeah, today's episode's fun. We're going to hit on just a little preview here. We'll hit on the Mac Jones situation and the Pats. We're going to talk Zach Wilson. And we're also going to hit on some of these running backs that need a refresh since the last time we talked about them. Their situations have changed. The Gus Edwards, James Robinsons of the world, even a couple more. And I know when you're listening to this, you're you're either one of you're in one of two buckets. You've either had your draft and you want to know, ooh, maybe I can sneak in a little preseason trade action if someone's not, you know, um, up to speed on a certain player, or you have your draft coming up and you want to know player values and you're still in, you know, that part of your redraft season. Luckily, we have mock drafts on the channel for you as well. But when we hit on some of these players, we're going to talk about draft values. But this is going to be super relevant if you have your team. We're going to be hitting on how you should be valuing these players. If you have these guys, what you should think of them, what you should do with them moving forward. And this might also allow you to circle a couple guys as targets on other teams to potentially trade for buy low on after a week or two of the season. So this is going to be fun. We're about a week away from that opening kickoff game. And we're so close and we're finally getting into some of these player takes and we're going to get games here soon. So let's get it. Let's go. And we're, we're going to jump right in here. Talking about the AFC East. It's been a changing of the guard since the Tom Brady era in New England. Now we have Josh Allen ascending, getting a massive contract, becoming the face of the franchise in Buffalo. We got Tua hopefully ascending in year two, hopefully becoming the face of the franchise in Miami. And then now we have two rookie quarterbacks with the Jets and Zach Wilson, with the Patriots and Mac Jones. So glad I got all those Mac Jones shares in Dynasty. Yes. But let's let's jump into Zach Wilson and the Jets situation first. The, the hype is real. We have Tony Romo coming out and saying Zach Wilson looks like the next Mahomes to him, which is just, I mean, that's just a dumb take that's at this point. a hot take. Come on, man. Come on. Watch but, your mouth, Tony. Come on. <laughs> but but I do, I comp, and you look, you guys can go back into the offseason, see all of our prospect profile breakdowns. I don't want to get too deep into college takes here but Zach Wilson to me comps to to one of two players it's either Baker Mayfield or like a young Derek Carr I do think he has shown tremendous accuracy in the preseason and I honestly I'm, I'm projecting to be in that QB 8 to 14 range I think he'll start the year in redraft leagues as a streamer but looks like he could be more and if he shows flashes week one or week two he's a guy that I'm willing to blow a lot of my fab dollars on especially in super flex if he's not already on a roster because Zach Wilson actually has some some pretty decent weapons. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Zach Wilson and the hope for Zach Wilson is that he is the Justin Herbert of this season. And I don't think his play style is anything like Justin Herbert. By no means is that a player comp for Zach Wilson. What I mean is if you think back to the draft last season, there was all the Joe Burrow hype. There was all the hype around Tua. You know, it was tank for Tua for a while until Joe Burrow splashed onto the scene and in most circles, Justin Herbert was this more raw prospect. People were out on, on Justin Herbert. A lot, a lot of people thought he was going to be a bust at the NFL level by matter of circumstance. Um, he gets into the starting lineup sooner rather than later, and he absolutely balled out. And there was a miss by a ton of NFL scouts, by a ton of analysts. A lot of people missed on Justin Herbert. And Zach Wilson kind of gives you those vibes this season. Like everyone's talking about T-Law. Everyone's talking about Mac now with the Patriots, who we'll get into. Everyone's talking about the the mobile quarterbacks, um, the more mobile quarterbacks, and Trey Lance and even Justin Fields. And we're like, hey guys, Zach Wilson's in New York starting Week One, and we're forgetting about about Zach Wilson. If you ask most people which one of these five quarterbacks they think is going to bust, I'm going to bet most are going to say Zach Wilson, and that's kind of the vibe Justin Herbert had last season. So this dude still was the second overall pick in the draft. He does have talent. We'll see what he can do in New York. And just because everyone seems to be writing him off, 
does not matter one bit until these guys get out on the NFL field. So I'm excited for Zach Wilson. I think he could get into streaming consideration, not someone I'm drafting in a redraft league. I'm probably not going to stash him on my bench either. I would, because of the rushing upside and redraft, rather stash a Trey Lance, a Justin Fields, a Trevor Lawrence. But I'm keeping an eye on Zach Wilson because if he does come out and has a good game, two good games, I'm willing to put him on my bench because he is a player that could be a high-end streaming option, maybe even an every-week starter as the season goes on if everything cracks the right way and if he hits. Starts the year against the Panthers. I think we could see big things from him right away in week one. Then has a rough stretch of the Patriots, the Broncos, the Titans. After that, the Falcons. He does play the Patriots again, but has the Bengals. Uh, He's going to play the Bills. He's going to play the Texans. He's going to play the Eagles. So we're going to see, I think, earlier than later. And and you might be able to grab Zach Wilson off the waiver wire after that tough stretch of Patriots, Broncos, Titans, and see what he can do. But I'm excited for the weapons group that he has. And and really, when we look at his receivers, you have guys that fit into each of their own roles. It's almost like the New York Giants where now they can have Corey Davis out at X. And and Corey Davis is getting really, really interesting in a lot of these leagues. Mm -hmm. And to your point, Alex, the Justin Herbert thing, we could even look at Lamar Jackson getting drafted in the back of the first round behind Hayden Hurst by the team that drafted him. The NFL and the NFL fandom has shown us that we're just not good at evaluating quarterbacks at all, both for fantasy and real life. We could look at Josh Allen. We could look at Jalen Hurts. And a lot of these guys, even if they're not the best out there on the field for their teams, can still produce in a big way for us in fantasy. I think Zach Wilson will actually have an impressive rushing floor. But back to those weapons, man, he has a guy that we love, one of the best wide receiver prospects in this entire draft. One of the few guys that impressed at his pro day, had insane college production, was an early declare in Elijah Moore that you and I have both comped to Antonio Brown. Not saying that he's going to be the next Antonio Brown, but his play style is very similar. He's a short guy who you can actually put out on the outside. Granted, now we have Corey Davis in that role who impressed last year in Tennessee. So, I'm loving Corey Davis in these drafts, where he's going, which is typically 7th, 8th round. Denzel Mims. Denzel Mims is still in that roster. A lot of people are leaving him for dead. I'm not drafting him, but I think he helps Zach Wilson if he can play that defense role. He's a monster athlete, runs a 4-3. Jamison Crowder is still there as the old reliable. Definitely going to be a safety valve for Zach Wilson on you know these short throws. And Crowder's shown that he can produce. He is one of the highest yardage totals of all the receivers drafted in 2015 with Amari Cooper, Devontae Parker, Devin Funches, guys like that. And then you have the running backs. What I love for Zach Wilson in this LaFleur offensive scheme, this 49ers essentially offensive scheme from Robert Sala, is that he has three explosive running back receivers in Michael Carter, Ty Johnson, and Tevin Coleman. I know these guys are all at different stages in their career, Ty Johnson being the undrafted guy, but I think he's shown a lot of explosiveness in the limited time that he got in Detroit. Tevin Coleman, we all know what he was able to do back in Atlanta. And then Michael Carter is essentially a a Clyde Edwards-Alaire minus, right? A poor man's CEH is is a great way that I would describe Michael Carter, or even like a Devin Singletary plus, where he can Mm -hmm. do it in all phases. He can be explosive at times. And then you look at the offensive line in this offense, man. It's stacked. you got Makai Becton, 11th overall, now entering year two. Taken in that, that 2020 draft, we got Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, where the Jets traded up at 14th overall in, in this most recent draft. I mean, this is going to be a stacked O-line, and I believe what could be a really, really efficient offense where Zach Wilson may not even be asked to do that much early on, and then as the season goes on, he'll open up that playbook, open up that passing game. That accuracy makes him really, really exciting, and that mobility, I think, is going to allow him to extend plays and allow him to produce for all these weapons in New York. I think people are really underestimating the potential pass volume in New York because we look at what happened there last season. They were 25th in the league in points allowed per game. So they were behind in games. They were giving up points, yet they were 29th in pass attempts. So there was this really weird situation happening where they were losing games, but the pass volume still wasn't high. Now, unfortunately, in training camp in the preseason, they've suffered some additional injuries on the defensive side of the ball. So... 
that defensive unit probably is going to be giving up some points again in 2021. And with that being the case, with the Jets having this rookie quarterback they're excited about, I don't think they really think they're going to compete this year. Obviously, every team thinks they have a shot. But if I'm the Jets, I want to get Zach Wilson out there. I want to get him a ton of pass attempts running this offense. I want to see what I've got in my rookie quarterback and give him those reps throwing the football. You mentioned the weapons that he has. The pass volume should be higher this season. In worst case scenario in his rookie year, we should get a Gardner Minshew level season from a fantasy Ooh. football perspective. Gardner a sixth round pick. So the talent, the natural talent coming out wasn't nearly as high, but for his rookie year and even last season in an up and down year where he wasn't starting every game, Gardner was streamable in fantasy football. Decent weapons, high pass volume. That could be what we see with the New York Jets, but the talent of a guy like Zach Wilson. I mean, if it's the worst case scenario, I think you're still getting a Gardner Minshew level streamer. Best case scenario could be ridiculous upside in New York. So keep an eye on Wilson. And as your season goes along, he could be one of these rookie quarterbacks that you pick up and that you can plug in and stream. And he could be very, very valuable in these leagues. So definitely don't be writing him off as you come out of your drafts. Yeah, especially when, you know, you see the, the hate train just based on the headband. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the 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 douchey smile, the BYU pedigree. And that's the reason why I didn't love Zach Wilson was his level of competition in college. But we got to throw all that stuff out. I mean, we're seeing Trey Lance coming from the FCS getting all this hype. Why can't the same thing happen for Zach Wilson? But let's flip over to another team, New England Patriots. Mac Jones officially named the starter. Cam Newton is gone from the team. The comp for me with Mac Jones, again, not going to go too deep into the college numbers. You can go see all the videos we put out this offseason going into what he did at Alabama, especially that senior year, which was just insane. But Mac Jones, to me, comps very similarly to a Joe Burrow or a Kirk Cousins. Not going to be the most mobile guy, but a cerebral quarterback that Mm -hmm. can sustain high volume in an offense. He's going to make smart decisions, and the guy's got a cannon on his right shoulder. So for me, I'm projecting him. And I threw this out there on a bold predictions episode a few weeks back. I said both Justin Fields and Mac Jones would take over in the first four weeks of the season and both could be QB1s in fantasy. I have Mac Step J- one complete on that hot take. I'm impressed. I'm feeling I'm feeling great about it so far. We'll see if they both enter the top 12. But Mac Jones should be able to enter that QB 10 to 15 range. Again, a solid streamer, just like Joe Burrow and Kirk Cousins. Not a guy I'm circling or aiming for in drafts, but the impact on these New England weapons. I mean, scratch off everything that you thought this New England Patriots offense was going to be this year. Because Mac Jones brings a whole different style, a whole different scheme, a whole new skill set mm-hmm. under center in New England. And Alex, we'll talk about some of the pass catching options, but I think the biggest winner is Damian Harris. And a lot of people have said this, and we got asked in our Discord channel, if you guys want to join the conversation with us, whether it's talking about redraft trades, dynasty startup picks, you name it. I mean, we got everything there in the Discord channel. Even join some leagues with me and Alex, compete against us this year. But some of the folks in there were asking, why Why is this so good for Damian Harris? I don't get it. You know, doesn't Cam Newton help that rushing attack? The, the answer, plainly, in its most simple sense, is Cam Newton and Damian Harris both had the same amount of rushing attempts last year. It's bad. Just think about that. I mean, you're getting now 137 carries that are now available on the ground. And now, look, we're not going to copy and paste everything over. I don't think Damian Harris is going to see 260 carries this year. But you also add in the fact that Cam Newton on the ground last year had 12 touchdowns. Mm -hmm. So now there's even more goal line work. And you add that also into the fact that Mac Jones is not this mobile rushing playmaker on the ground he's not gonna truck guys over he's definitely more from the Tom Brady mold than the Cam Newton mold Damian Harris now has a quarterback that could easily check down to him a lot more and we even saw Cam Newton target James White a decent amount last year I think James White will still eat into that receiving work but he's a little bit older he's not as explosive and only saw 35 rush attempts last season Rex Burkhead is gone from this offense vacating 67 rushing attempts. Sony Michelle is gone, vacating another 79 rushing attempts. So for Damian mm-hmm. Harris, I mean, 200 carries is easily his floor this season. Then you add in the goal line and the pass catching upside. I'm all in on Harris this year. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. And we haven't talked about this a ton on the channel, but you and I behind the scenes have had, I, he might be the guy we've talked about the most this season. I feel like last year it was Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette. And I feel like between you and I, Harris has been one of these guys we've kind of been feuding on behind the scenes, giving our takes for why we believe or don't believe in my case in Harris. And I'll even admit this move to Mac Jones really makes me a little more interested in Harris. And before I was out, I thought, you know, this nasty low volume offense with Cam Newton, him taking a ton of the work, you have these other running backs to worry about. It definitely concerned me, um, kind of keeping some sort of the blueprint from 2020, knowing it's not going to be a copy and paste, but it's similar with Cam Newton as the quarterback. And not only Mac Jones becoming the starter, but Cam Newton getting cut tells me that they're throwing that all out the window. Like this is going to be a completely different looking offense in 2021. And this whole stigma around New England, at least in my mind from last season was nasty, low volume, bottom third in the league in scoring, not running a ton of plays, trying to win games, you know, 17 to 14. And with Mac Jones, it's just exciting for the offense as a whole. It breathes some life into this unit. And for Harris specifically, you said it, I'm still not like through the roof high on Damian Harris, but I can get behind his upside creeping into that running back to range. Uh, you know, I, I don't think he's going to be a top 20 guy, but could he give you solid production to give you weeks as an RB2? Or if you went tight end earlier, you did something and you have him as your RB2, you should feel pretty good because just a little bit of touchdown upside sprinkled in, a little bit of receiving work sprinkled in along with the carries we know he's going to get definitely makes him more appealing. And I even think James White becomes a deep, flex value in these PPR leagues, someone we've kind of been writing off. He was a free agent this offseason. They decided to let Rex Burkhead go. They could have stuck with J.J. Taylor, done more of a, a rebuilding type of thing. But you know Bill Belichick. They've got a strong defense. They have Mac Jones now at quarterback. Bill's not trying to rebuild right now. He's trying to win. I really think he thinks James White is going to help out this offense enough um, as a veteran back to, to give him snaps and help give him wins. So I think James White's going to continue to be the receiving back on this team. Now, I don't think it's the James White of old with top 15 upside. But if he's on your waiver wire, if you've already drafted and he's sitting out there in a PPR league, I think he's worth a bench stash because you can never have enough running back depth. And he's someone that could be a plug-in value if you have bye weeks, if you have injuries, things like that. I think it's really exciting for all the wide receivers, for Jacoby Myers, for Nelson Aguilar, he's a guy I'm going to keep my eye on. And then Jonu Smith, you know, your hot takes stuff. Not only not only the Mac Jones hot take, you also had a Jonu Smith hot take. Definitely took a step in the right direction with this move by New England. So I think it's a lift to every single piece of this offense. Gives them a chance to actually be a functional offense in the NFL in 2021. And I think Mac's going to have ups and downs. He's a rookie quarterback. He's going to have his games. He's going to have his turnovers. He's going to have his issues. But he's a huge upgrade for this team. And to me, I think he is similar to Zach Wilson in the sense I need to see it from him before I'm willing to put him on the back of my roster. But I think he could work his way into that streaming range. I have the same names you did. I mean, Kirk Cousins, even a Matt Ryan, a Derek Carr. Like if he shows me a little bit early on in the season, he enters that streamer range for me. And I'm willing to pick him up and play him in good matchups. So if you did punt on quarterback or you plan on going late round quarterback, don't I wouldn't pick up Mac Jones just yet. There's guys I still like more. I know the excitement's there, but keep a close eye on him because if he starts to show some flashes, he's definitely someone that I'm going to be interested in for the 2021 season. Now, before we start talking about a bunch of other running backs here, I want to talk about the specific value on Damian Harris. And one of the things that we're getting asked a lot, whether it's in our Twitter DMs, you can hit us up at Double Move Sports, whether it's in our Discord channel, whether it's in the YouTube comments, people are asking, hey, rate my roster. And one of the, the biggest pitfalls that I'm seeing is in those mid-rounds, right? We're talking 8th, ninth, 10th round. I'm seeing names like Juju Smith-Schuster getting taken there. Brandon Cook As a fourth wide receiver on people's bench. That's the problem. Jarvis Landry, Marvin right. Jones, Michael Pittman, Marquez Calloway. Like this tier of receivers, I'm fine to just take whoever falls the farthest and shoot for the moon at running back and go ahead and take a Damian Harris. Go ahead and get a Trey Sermon. Even Raheem Mostert is there in that range. But those are the type mm -hmm. of upside backs at this level, at this round, 
in your fantasy drafts, you're not getting the Ezekiel Elliott's of the world. It's just not going to happen. All those guys are already taken. These 300 touch workhorse running backs that are going to see so much volume. It's just, it's not going to happen. But Damian Harris has that upside. Trey Sermon has that upside. These are guys that you need to be taking, not Juju Smith-Schuster, who you kind of know what you're going to get out of him. He's not going to be a league-winning pick for you. He's going to be a fine flex name. He's going to be a guy you can plug in on bye weeks and injuries. But why are you paying up for one of those guys when you could take a gamble that could hit in a big way and turn your roster from a you know a playoff team into a championship roster? We're trying to win these titles out here. But Alex, let's talk about... One of the biggest shakeups from this last weekend is J.K. Dobbins going out for this season with the ACL tear. Just absolutely brutal to see. Was so excited, expecting huge things for Dobbins this year. But now it's Gus Edwards' time. It's time for Gus the Bus, who's currently going in the sixth round of his ADP. I I love that, man. I'm taking him early sixth. I love it. Maybe even late fifth if I'm going like a zero RB type roster. If we start the season and Baltimore doesn't sign anyone – I love them even more. Even, honestly, even if they do, because who are they going to sign that's out there right now that's going to threaten Gus Edwards? The names I've seen thrown out, it doesn't look like Todd Gurley is going to happen, but who knows? Adrian Peterson is out there. Wayne Gallman. Uh, there, there's a couple. Devonta Lev Freeman. Bell, yeah, Wayne, Wayne Gallman would be interesting. There's a couple names floating around, but all those names, they're veteran names. They're not guys that I'm scared of in Baltimore. And we just had our home league draft this past weekend. We drafted not an hour after J.K. Dobbins went down in the game. So we didn't know the extent of the injury. We didn't know he was going to be out for season. Dobbins fell in that draft, but he was still taken in the middle rounds. Uh, shout out to, to Jake in our league. You're going to have to patch up that running back spot. But Steph, you went zero running back and took a value on Gus Edwards, basically just rolling the dice and gambling, saying, okay, I know something happened to Dobbins. He's probably going to miss some amount of time. With my zero RB roster, I'm going to take the shot on Edwards, and it paid off for you. You got him at a crazy value in that draft. Your team's great. We'll get into that later. But I loved that pick because Gus Edwards, not victory lapping because he hasn't played a down yet this season, and we'll see what happens. And you never want to project injuries. It's you know, it's it's not something that's predictive really at all, even for some of these guys we say are injury prone. But we did a deep sleepers episode before camp and Gus Edwards was on that deep sleepers list. And the the whole premise of that was even with JK Dobbins healthy, Gus Edwards is going to give you value because this is more of a one, a one B situation in Baltimore. It's not really a one, two situation. And Gus is someone they believe in. He just got a two year, $10 million extension, obviously paying off for them. Now he's the number 16 top paid running back in football. Hard to believe for Gus Edwards, but he has three straight seasons of 700 or more rushing yards. So even before Dobbins went down, Edwards is someone they had plans for in 2021 because he's been so good since he entered the league. And people don't give Gus Edwards enough credit as this north-south runner that's perfect for Baltimore scheme because since Gus Edwards came into the league in 2018, he is number one in yards per carry at the running back position with 5.2 yards per carry and that's on 414 attempts so great sample size he's very efficient and like i said i expect baltimore to sign somebody but i don't know why gus edwards shouldn't be valued closer to where jk dobbins was being valued before because yes dobbins has a better skill set he definitely adds more as a pass catcher but imagine what would have happened to jk dobbins adp and his value if Gus Edwards had been the one that had gone down. I mean, J.K. Dobbins would have gotten up into like the Joe Mixon, Najee Harris range, I think, because he would have been the clear dominant workhorse in Baltimore. But just flip that on its head and say, well, now you got Gus Edwards without this 1B situation. He's the clear number one, even if the skill set's not as high. So I I think I've got him as a solid mid-tier running back. Like he's in the Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders range for me, to be honest with you. He's closer to that group than he is the Mike Davis group. That's for sure. You know, I'd probably, he'd be at the tail end of that group for me. I would take Jacobs. I would take Sanders. But I mean, Gus Edwards is right there. So he could easily have a a 1,000 yard, 10 touchdown season this year. Wouldn't surprise me one bit. And while he still won't be the complete workhorse in Baltimore, he has this backfield almost all to himself right now. Uh, Just Justice Hill there. And then you're going to have to help me on this one, Steph. What is it like Tyson Williams undrafted? Was he an undrafted? I've been saying Tyson. So so Tyson Williams 
and then potentially some veteran that they bring in. So I'm in on Gus Edwards. And if you already drafted and got him out of value, good for you. Um, You should definitely utilize that. Maybe you have some running back depth and you can make some moves as the season goes along. But if you haven't drafted yet and he's there in the sixth round, that's that's an auto pick for me. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it there, man. One of the most efficient backs in the league now moves into the RB1 role and one of the most efficient rushing attacks in all of football. I think for me, the, the only issue with him before, right, because the efficiency was great. The touchdown volume honestly was great for a guy who was a 1B in an offense. Six touchdowns last year. Had a, a, a sprinkle of passing game work. Nine receptions for 129 yards was still pretty efficient, man. Nine receptions for 129 yards is actually ridiculous. But you add in... <laughs> The only problem there was that lack of volume where I think now he moves from an 8 to 12 carry a game guy to a 12 to 16 carry a game guy Mm -hmm. with that double digit goal line upside that J.K. Dobbins had. I mean, and look, let's talk about Tyson Williams for a second. Because so I've seen some people asking us like, should I add him off the waiver wire? Is he a must add right now? Is he a stash for me at the end of my bench? And I, I just don't see it. In, I, I don't. In see the it. deepest of leagues, sure. If you're in like a 14 team league with a big bench, I, I don't hate it. But I'm not rushing to the waiver wire for him. But yeah, I'll let you go ahead. <laughs> he, he he actually does. I'll give him some credit. He has decent size at six foot, 220 mm-hmm. pounds. Runs a four five three, which at that size is actually really impressive. Okay. That's moving. Uh, but he's a 25 year old undrafted free agent. If you look at his college resume, it's it's really underwhelming. I don't like him more than a situational piece and that situation could crumble quickly if they sign somebody this guy played on three different offenses in college North Carolina South Carolina and BYU and then didn't even make a roster for another couple years and then you look at Justice Hill who's also in the backfield another guy we've gotten a lot of questions about for some reason I don't know what it is people were excited about him in Dynasty it's just it's not going to happen he cannot break out in Baltimore last year only 12 carries and five receptions and 12 games where he was active so, I mean, we're talking one carry a game for Justice Hill, less than one target or reception a game for Justice Hill. It's not going to happen with him. They're going to sign somebody. And if they don't, it's going to be insane for Gus Edwards. I want to add one last thing on Tyson Williams. I got to give him his credit, right? Because no, like the Gus Edwards emerging as a good, solid NFL player is already against the odds, but Tyson Williams, you said undrafted free agent, six foot two twenty, runs a four five three, bounced around in colleges, you know, coming out. Gus Edwards was an undrafted free agent, six one two twenty nine, runs a four five seven forty, a very north south runner, and he transferred in college. So like, is Tyson Williams potentially the, next the second Gus coming Edwards. of Gus, the second coming of Gus Edwards, like Gus Edwards light in the Baltimore backfield? Maybe that's why they like him because he's like a Gus Edwards blueprint. Just take the ball, find the seam up the middle on the read option. We'll see. So had to give Tyson Williams a little credit there and honestly just call out a fascinating kind of parallel between him and Gus Edwards. So no, I'm not necessarily saying that we're going to start seeing these undrafted free agents pop out of nowhere and become valuable every single season. But if you are in a deep league, I don't mind the stash right now, at least until we see who they bring in as a veteran piece if they bring in a veteran running back. Yeah, good call there. Good call there, Alex. Wait, 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 Alex. I have to stop the show because I'm dumb hyped over this new sponsorship deal we got. Shout out to our guys over at Manscaped. And look, I was skeptical, but Alex, you know I've been a very hairy guy for a long time. I was the kid at 13 years old in middle school. Oh, yeah. With chest hair shown out of the polo shirt. Like, I was that dude. I was, I, I was jealous at the time. <laughs> I was jealous at the time. Well, <laughs> nothing to be jealous over anymore because ever since I got this lawnmower 4.0 from them, it's been clean down there to say the least. Manscaped has the lawnmower 4.0. Not the one, not the two, not the three, but the 4.0. Talk about sleepers on our show. And this has to be one of the best sleeper products out there. I was skeptical as well, and it's been an absolute game changer. Check out Manscaped. This thing is legit, and you will definitely not be disappointed um, by this full-body trimmer. It's incredible. So Manscaped was nice enough to give us a 20% off discount code for the Double Move Sports viewers. You can get 20% off and free shipping with code DMS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code DMS, unlock your confidence, and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Now back to the show. 
But let's move over to James Robinson, another guy in a backfield where you had the projected RB1 go down, now takes over. We haven't talked about him yet on the show. I think we've taken him in a few places in our drafts. But to me, he now becomes that perfect third, fourth round running back. I put him in the same tier with Miles Sanders, who Miles Sanders for me is firmly at the top of this tier. But then after that, you get Chris Carson, David Montgomery, Josh Jacobs, and I think Robinson is, is closer to Sanders and Carson than he is Monty and Jacobs because he showed last year that, look, even though he is this undrafted miracle story, he showed that he has the size, he has the speed, he has the durability to get it done in the NFL in all facets of the game. And, and one of the reasons people are potentially fading J-Rob is because of Carlos Hyde. And look, Urban Meyer loves this guy. The Ohio State connection is definitely there between these two. But when you look at Carlos Hyde as a player, he's about to turn 31 years old. He's inefficient through the air and on the ground last season in what should have been a great smash situation for him in Seattle. But I do think he'll get some work. But that's not an indictment Mm -hmm. on J-Rob as that high-end RB2 coming off a top five fantasy season where he saw 240 carries 60 targets had 86% of the Jacksonville opportunities in that backfield. Even if you hate Carlos Hyde, he's going to get some work in this offense, but not enough that you should fade J Rob. Now that ETN's out for the year. Yeah. It's all about the value because looking into the situation, I'm with you. I love J Rob at his ADP. I think he's absolutely fine to take there and there's no way I'm fading him completely for Carlos Hyde. But when you look at last season, I mean, James Robinson was competing with Chris Thompson and, and Daria Gumbawale. So to your point about the the opportunity share, like James Robinson truly was everything in this backfield. And even if Carlos Hyde comes in and gets a little bit more work than the guys did last year, I mean, if he's in for 15 to, to 20 to 25 percent of the carries, like that's going to be enough to to make J-Rob um you know, more of an RB2 than he was an RB1 last year. Because to me, it's all about comparing these players versus their value versus their ADP. And I like James Robinson, but it's just not realistic. Like you have to set your expectations. It's not realistic to think he's going to repeat what he did last season. So as long as you know that Carlos Hyde's probably going to be in a little bit more than you want if you watched a lot of J-Rob last year, um, as long as you know that, you're going to be fine drafting him um, as an RB2, kind of in that that third or fourth tier of running backs, like you said, with the guys like Miles Sanders, Josh Jacobs. Um, But when I look at James Robinson and the touchdown upside this season, I originally went into it thinking like, oh, the offense is going to be much more efficient this year. They're going to score more points. So there should be more touchdown upside. But I'm actually not so sure about that because J-Rob somehow last season for a team that was 30th in the NFL in scoring, he still scored 10 touchdowns in his 14 games. Like this guy was electric last season and he found the end zone he had a nose for the end zone he had more touchdowns than Zeke more touchdowns than J.K. Dobbins as many as David Montgomery so right now I have J-Rob projected at 11 touchdowns so it is a little bit better than last season the hope with J-Rob and the upside for J-Rob is that if he does cede a little bit more work to Carlos Hyde that maybe he gives you that extra touchdown or two to push him over the top and give him potentially in a best case scenario um, top 10 running back upside for 2021. So he's someone I love taking as a running back too. We know the volume's going to be there. And if things break the right way and he's able to to get into the end zone for this Jacksonville offense that should be much improved, that's how he's going to get it done for you in fantasy and exceed the value where you got him in your draft. And the reason we're in on this Jacksonville offense is because of all their ADPs with this unknown of Trevor Lawrence, the unknown of Urban Meyer, is actually depressing their values enough where they become interesting gambles for where they're going in your draft. If you do take James Robinson, if you do take LaVisca Chenault, who we both love, we've talked about him a ton on this channel, just pray that Jacksonville can be functional enough and that Urban Meyer can be competent enough to to give James Robinson the ball and actually keep this offense moving. Also add in the fact that Marvin Jones is hurt and DJ Chark has a broken hand. So those two things could play into James Robinson potentially getting a little bit more target volume to start the season. But Alex, let's talk about one of the guys that I'm so excited about this year. Over the last month, he's gone from a guy that I was meh on to a guy that I'm all in on because of the situation, the things that are happening around him. It's Trey Sermon. 
I'm, I'm all in on Sermon because we got Wayne Gallman getting cut yesterday. Jeff Wilson is on the pup, so he's at least out for six weeks with a torn meniscus. That's another guy that doesn't have a ton of draft capital behind him. This team could easily move on from Jeff Wilson. They drafted Elijah Mitchell in the same draft as Trey Sermon, but honestly, Elijah Mitchell, while we do like him as a prospect for being more of like a sleeper type name that was drafted in the sixth round, he is undersized. He has worse draft capital than Trey Sermon, not as good as an athlete. And then you look at Jermichael Hasty. Whatever. He had a horrible year last year. He's slower than Elijah Mitchell, worse in the passing game. To me, this is clearly um, Raheem Mostert, Trey Sermon, 1A, 1B to start the year. And I believe Sermon is going to take over at some point. I think it could happen earlier than later. If you look at Raheem Mostert, he played eight games last year, so missed half the season. He's had a knee injury. He's had a high ankle sprain, multiple high ankle sprains last year, an MCL sprain, a knee sprain in 2019. This guy just just can't stay healthy for a long, long period of time. He did actually end up playing 15 games in 2019, but only saw a 36% snap share, wasn't used in the passing game, only one and a half targets per game. And while it looked like in 2020, the target share was going to go up for Raheem Mostert, He got hurt and it just didn't happen. And now you bring in Trey Sermon, who has the pass catching chops to be a three down back, was running a ton of check down routes in the preseason snaps that he saw, had an 8% target share at Ohio State last year with Justin Fields. If Raheem Mostert goes down, I think the upside for Trey Sermon is a stupid level of upside. You know, this one's tough because I've been rising on Trey Sermon with you. Um, and earlier I mentioned that you snagged Gus Edwards in our home league in a zero running back strategy. You snagged Gus Edwards and then the other running back you snagged was Trey Sermon. And I loved the pick. So I think you you nailed it with what his upside is. But as I've looked into this situation and really today, like last couple days, I've started digging into what we can expect for Trey Sermon and like, what is going on in San Francisco and why what's up with these values and what's going on with the running game? You know, why don't they have a consistent running back that's been their clear cut guy for the last three seasons? And and just listen to this, listen to the numbers, because honestly it's mind boggling because over the last three seasons under Kyle Shanahan, the 49ers run game has been great in 2020. uh, They were 15th in the NFL in rushing yards in 2019. They were second. In 2018, they were 13th. So they're putting out good rushing seasons every single year. But if you look at the rushing yard leader on the team, it's not what you would expect. You would expect a guy to be going over 1,000 yards if you're consistently in the top half of the league or 2019, second in the league in rush yards. But in 2020, when they were 15th, Jeff Wilson was their rushing yard leader with 600 yards, 12 games played. In 2019, when they were second, Raheem Mostert, you said it, played 15 games. 772 yards he led the team in rushing in 2018 Matt Breida 814 rushing yards in 14 games when they were 13th in the league so my biggest concern from San Francisco is this pattern this theme that we're seeing that's like okay I know guys have been in and out of the lineup but each and every season when they're a good rushing team it doesn't matter who the running backs are a totally different group of guys every single season it doesn't matter and not one has really emerged on a full year to be the guy you want him to be. So we've seen pop games. We've seen Jeff Wilson pop off for huge performances. We've seen Raheem Mostert do it. We saw Matt Breida do it. Shoot, even Jermichael Hasty had a good game or two last season. Tevin Coleman had a couple big games when he was there. Jarek McKinnon. Jarek McKinnon, exactly. So you see all these guys, they're in a rotation. I know some of it's driven by injury, but not all of it based on the themes that we're seeing. And the fact that they've been a great rushing football team and they still can't get a guy over 900 (laughs) yards on a season, it just raises a little red flag for me. So if someone could do it, it would be Trey Sermon coming out with decent draft capital in the third round, fresh legs out of college. So I believe in Trey Sermon's skill set, but then you also have to think about Trey Lance potentially coming in as the starting quarterback, and he's going to take some rushing yards. If Trey Lance comes in and runs for 50 yards a game and has a touchdown every now and then on the ground, like what is that going to do to further – muddy this situation in the backfield because you still do have Moster. when Wilson's back he will be on the field you I mean they're carrying a lot of running backs they're carrying four healthy running backs right now 
which is kind of concerning for Trey Sermon's value. Mostert is still there and looks like he is the 1A right now in the backfield. So all I'm saying is there is some reason to be concerned. I know we get these these big eyes and we get so excited about these rookies, especially when they flash in the preseason. But I just want to call out that there is some risk there as well. But with all that being said, I know it sounds like I'm out on Trey Sermon. I still think Sermon is a solid flex guy to start out the year. I think he's going to get work. He's going to be valuable enough on a good rushing team to be someone you can throw out there and start and he's going to be okay. And you mentioned it, Steph, if Raheem Mostert does go down, if he does miss any period of time, Trey Sermon enters that must start territory because when Kyle Shanahan does get a running back, that is kind of the last man standing. He's not afraid to, to give him every bit of volume and every bit of opportunity in this offense. That's why we've seen Jeff Wilson, the fourth guy on the depth chart, go for a three touchdown game. So if Trey Sermon is that guy for any period of time, I think the upside is there. But I just want to say if this group does stay fairly healthy and they have a couple guys that are active every single week and Trey Lance comes in as this running quarterback, there's some reason to be concerned about the volume for Trey Sermon. I love the the throwing out the red flag, right? We I got so hyped and then you're tempering it a little bit. I think I think somewhere in the middle is exactly where folks should be. And all of your points were absolutely true. I do want to throw out one one thing. And, and this is definitely narrative street. This is definitely looking historically to make predictions about the future, which we typically shouldn't do in fantasy football. That's one of the biggest things. Like the difference between good fantasy players and bad fantasy players, good draft picks in your leagues, bad draft picks, is using last year as the only temperature check on these player values. But I will say this, the last time Kyle Shanahan had a true workhorse was when he was the coach of the Washington at the time Redskins from 2012 to 2014. In 2012, he drafted a man by the name of Alfred Morris, a running back, (laughs) who had this ridiculous level of upside. 1,600 rushing yards as a rookie on 300 carries. So that's literally 100 yards per game. And then in 2013 and 2014, was over 1,000 yards on the ground both years, over 265 carries, saw seven or more touchdowns both of those seasons. And during those years, you know who the quarterback was? A mobile QB by the name of Robert Griffin III. And so all I'm saying is if Trey Lance hits, and this then becomes Trey Sermon's backfield, it's going to be wheels up for Sermon. It's going to be the two Trey's in San Francisco torching the league on the ground. In my mind... If we're looking at pure upside, Sermon should be going right behind Javante Williams in these drafts. For all the reasons you mentioned, I would put him slightly lower than Javante Williams. But the only major difference between the two guys is Javante was drafted in the second round and Sermon was drafted in the third. And that's the upside you're laying out. Like if Trey Sermon is this last man standing, if the upside does hit and Raheem Mostert misses time and it's Trey Sermon's backfield, I think it's possible. I will say if Raheem Mostert's healthy, it's not going to happen. So you are banking on that a bit. But even if Trey Sermon's giving you good startable value for half the season and then you get a pop in the second half of the season, if Mostert does miss any games, even if it if it's just a game here, a game there, then it's definitely a guy you're going to be happy. Yeah, you're, it's going to be a guy you're happy you took um, at his current value. So I, I'm in. I, I know it sounds like I'm out on Sermon, but I'm, I'm honestly willing to have him. I think at worst, he gets that Jeff Wilson role at best. He becomes Alfred Morris 2.0, though that, that percentage chance of happening is low based on what we've seen from Shanahan the last few years. But Alex, let's jump over to Chase Edmonds, a guy that is shooting up draft boards. He's kind of the guy that when you don't know who to pick in the running back dead zone, a lot of people are just like, well, screw it. I'll get the guy who's going to get pass volume and take him over Damian Harris. I'll take him over Gus Edwards, Trey Sermon, Javante Williams. I, I think in those scenarios, that hype is too real. I, I'm not on board taking him in this fourth, fifth, sixth round where I'm seeing him go. And I think on underdog in best ball leagues, he's going early seventh, which I think is a fine value. But I'm, a lot of the places you're seeing him go in the fifth, which I just cannot get behind. And Alex, you know, I've been a Chase Edmonds mm-hmm. truther for a good bit. And I like Edmonds because he's efficient. He's shown flashes before when he has taken over the Cardinals backfield. He even shown to, showed to be a fine depth piece last year with the target volume that he was seeing, especially in 14-team leagues or running back depth is just critical. And 
I do expect good things from Chase Edmonds this year. I expect his snaps, his carries, his targets to go up, especially with James Conner being the only guy he has to contend with, who, who we know is, I don't want to say injury prone because I hate throwing that out there, but let's face it, James Conner gets hurt a lot. <laughs> but I think people see, oh, it's just going to be Chase Edmonds' backfield. He's going to be the next Kareem Hunt, mm-hmm. or he's going to be the next Miles Sanders. But I, I have bad news for those folks. Chase Edmonds is undersized, and he's never been used as a workhorse back. Even when we had Kenyon Drake cramming into the offensive line for two-yard gains for all of 2020, Edmonds never got the full reins. And even when Kenyon Drake did go down due to injury, Edmonds saw 25 carries and three targets, but was shut down with only 2.8 yards per carry, a disgusting 11.8 PPR points on that yeah, week. for that volume, that's unacceptable. That's where he he was supposed to be a smash play that week. He was like mm-hmm. everyone's RB1 or RB2 that, that week. People were throwing him into the flex, and he's severely underwhelmed. And Alex, I'll let you get some takes in because I know I'm taking up all the airtime here, but one of the biggest red flags to me for Chase Edmonds is that over the last three seasons as a starter in Arizona, he's only had one carry inside the five-yard line. <sighs> Whether it's James Conner, whether it's Kenyon Drake, whether it's Kyler Murray, I have concerns for Chase Edmonds' touchdown upside. He has to earn every single one of his touchdowns with a breakaway run, and that's just hard to bank on for for an undersized, though he is explosive, player like Chase Edmonds who's coming from that profile. So I put him in the range behind some of the guys I mentioned, like Gus Edwards, Devontae Williams, Trace Sermon, Damian Harris, because I believe those guys can be three down workhorses, can be goal line backs. I think Chase Edmonds is going to have an uphill battle getting there and maintaining it. You know what's so weird is that why are we talking about Chase Edmonds the way that we are and we're not talking about Naheem Hines that way? Because, mm. I mean... You laid out why Chase, he's just not built his frame. He's just not a workhorse back, 5'9", 210. I mean, he is Naheem Hines' size, and that's essentially the role he plays for the Arizona Cardinals. So the fact that Chase Edmonds is one of these sleepers that's being taken, I've seen him go in the fourth round, which is absolutely absurd. Like, why is he being talked about this way, but Naheem Hines is like a, a double-digit round pick? It's just kind of confusing. But the, the weird thing about it is, I'm fine to take Edmonds if he is in the seventh round. You said on underdog he's going in the seventh round. I'm fine to take him there as my RB3 because I do think the upside is higher than Naheem Hines because of that game that you that you laid out, that 25 carry. Did you say 25 carries? Because even me saying 25 that. 25 carries against Miami last year. I think that game, and I want to say he did it the season before. I'll spot check that as I'm talking here. But the fact, yeah, the, this year before against the New York Giants, he had the backfield to himself, 27 carries. So those tiny glimmers of a sample size is actually why, that is why Chase Edmonds is being talked about differently than Naheem Hines. Because we know if Jonathan Taylor misses time, if Naheem Hines is this like number one back for a given amount of time, like he's not going to be a workhorse. He's not going to get 20 carries. He's not going to get 25. He's not going to get 27 carries. Where with Chase Edmonds... He's this receiving scat back that's not a workhorse, but in the times where the starter's gone down, where Kenyon Drake has gone down in the past, we have seen, where David Johnson's gone down in the past, we've seen Chase Edmonds shoulder this load. Now, it's only been for one week at a time, but we know Cliff Kingsbury's not necessarily afraid to do that if, if it's for a given stretch of the season. So I know you mentioned James Conner goes down a lot. He does, quite frankly. Uh, we've seen it over the past several years. But if James Conner is kind of like banged up throughout the year, misses a game here, misses two games there, he's kind of in and out of the lineup. I think that's actually where Chase Edmonds could hit that upside because in those scenarios, I don't think Arizona is going to go out and sign someone off the street if James Conner's out for a game with an ankle sprain. But if James Conner was to like get a season ending injury, I think that's the point where Arizona actually wouldn't make Chase Edmonds a workhorse back. They would go out and pick someone up to give it more of an even split, maybe trade for somebody or something like that. So Chase Edmonds, for me, Mm. if he's going to go in the seventh round, I'm fine to take him there. To me, he is behind that range we talked about. He's behind the Gus Edwards range. He's behind um, Damian Harris. He's behind Kareem Hunt for me. But I'll take him in front of Mike Davis. I'll I'll probably take him in front of Daryl Henderson as well at this point. Um, Just the Daryl Henderson vibes aren't really going the right way, and I'm kind of sketched out 
by the Sony Michelle trade, by the Daryl Henderson injury. So I'm kind of staying away from that backfield at this point. But uh, Chase Edmonds in, in 2020 was seventh amongst running backs and targets over four per game. He only saw six carries per game. So if this season he can take that four targets per game, even like four and a half, you know, just maintain the receiving share that he had. And then if in terms of carries, he goes from six carries a game up to eight to 10 carries a game. That's going to be enough to make him a viable RB2 in PPR formats. He was RB25 last season. If he just gets a slight uptick in that workload for 2021, I think he is kind of safely in that RB2 range. Worst case scenario, a high-end RB3. And the upside could be there for some splash weeks if James Conner does miss time. So Chase Edmonds, he's one of those polarizing guys, man. Super hard to pin down. I think his usage, even if we come out week one and two and see his usage one way, I think it's one of those situations where it could change as the season goes along um, and you're kind of kind of going to be rolling the dice as long as James Conner is in the lineup. But right now, if you can get him as your running back three at value, more than happy to go in on Chase Edmonds for 2021. Yeah. And, you know, another question here is, is why are the Cardinals running the most four wide receiver sets in the league, bringing in A.J. Green, drafting Rondell Moore, I think some of those guys could take away a lot of that target volume from Chase Edmonds in the short, quick passing game. But let's move over to a wide receiver. This will be the last topic on today's show. And in the same way you're talking about with Chase Edmonds, you know, if his usage could certainly change throughout the season, we don't want to overreact to what happens in week one. Same case with Zach Wilson. He might come out in week one against the Panthers and absolutely shine. Mm-hmm but then get shut down over the next three weeks against the Patriots and the Broncos in some tougher matchups. But even in the preseason, and this is something we've been preaching over and over and over again, and we're going to continue to do it, is do not react to camp and, and preseason reports. And the guy who's been at the headline time and time again so far in this camp cycle has been Jamar Chase, a top five draft pick who's super hyped up. He's had a lot of drops. Really only had one strong like highlight play, and it was a check down, essentially. It was a screen pass that he was able to take for something like 19 yards. But I'm not going to overreact to those. I mean, last year we had Ola B.C. Johnson being proclaimed as the number two or number three over Justin Jefferson. People react, especially to names that are hyped up. It's like every small issue just gets magnified mm-hmm. to the thousandth degree. I'm not overreacting to these Jamar Chase drops. And I got called out the other day on one of our mock drafts. I took Jamar Chase in the back of the fifth round when I needed a, a wide receiver and it was in this running back dead zone. I was like Chase Edmonds or Jamar Chase. I ended up going with Jamar Chase, especially over like Chase Claypool. People were pissed off about that. But with Jamar Chase, you've got to look at, at the situation and what his resume has shown us up to this point. You can't just look at, oh, well, he's re- been really bad in camp coming off a year where he didn't play football. I guess he's just trash now because the situation is phenomenal. All three of Boyd Higgins and, and A.J. Green last year were all over 100 targets. A.J. Green vacates over 100 targets. Joe Burrow was on pace to be second in the league in pass attempts just behind Big Ben at 40 attempts per game. And regardless of game script, the Bengals are always passing the ball. And they're mostly losing, which is great for this offense, which we've talked about being a Dallas Cowboys light with a strong three-down workhorse back in Joe Mixon, three very solid wide receivers, and no tight end presence that that folks need to compete with. We had 194 vacated targets between A.J. Green, Gio Bernard, and John Ross. I, I think Jamar Chase... I think Jamar Chase steps into a role where he can see that Justin Jefferson level, Mm -hmm. 125 targets in year one. And and Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow have insane rapport on film. I mean, Chase is going to be looked to early and often, I believe, in the red zone. And in 2019, Burrow's senior year at LSU, where everyone just fell in love with him, right? Who's the only college quarterback to ever have a better passer rating while under pressure. That wasn't all just Joe Burrow being incredible. That That's also Jamar Chase knowing where to be on the field. That's why he had 111 targets, 1,700 yards, and 20 touchdowns in one season in college. You got to remember what this man is capable of, relegating Justin Jefferson to the slot, making Terrace Marshall a third stringer. 
man, I, I'm I'm still excited for Jamar Chase. I'm not overreacting to this this news of these drops and him looking bad in practice. And we've also seen reports of him being good mm-hmm. in camp and at practice. And people just seem to throw those under the bed, essentially. Yeah, I'm willing to to buy this perceived dip on, on Jamar Chase for sure. And you mentioned the the target volume he's going to get. I sat it out the Bengals, and right now I have Jamar Chase, Higgins, and Tyler Boyd all well over 100 targets. They're all over 115 targets for me right now. And I know it sounds crazy, but teams can support target volume for three wide receivers. We saw Dallas do it. That's the easy you know team to throw out there. They had 130 targets, 111, and 105 for their top three receivers. But even Carolina last year had 136, 118, and 97 targets for the top three receivers, and they're not even a high-pass volume team. And that's an example of a team with no tight end of consequence on their roster in terms of pass volume. I know they have Dan Arnold this season, but last year there was no one. So this Cincy team with three stud wide receivers, a weaker defense, and Joe Burrow, like this is going to be a pass-happy offense, and I think there's going to be plenty of volume to go around. So I'm more than happy to take Jamar Chase as my wide receiver too. And if you're someone watching that hasn't drafted yet, like if he's there end of round five, even if he falls to early round six, by all means, take that risk on that upside with Jamar Chase because the talent is there. And you mentioned it. We got to remember, he's been out of football for an entire season opting out um, of the 2020 college season. So of course he's going to have to knock off some rust in training camp and in the preseason. I definitely think it's possible he gets off to a slow start one because of that missed time playing on a competitive football field in real like live game action. And two, just because he's a rookie wide receiver, we see this all the time. So I am more than happy to draft him at value. And if you're a team that's already drafted and you don't have Jamar chase, this is going to be one of my guys to keep an eye on in your league, because I'm going to buy low on Jamar chase. If he disappoints in the first couple games, he starts out with Minnesota, Chicago, and Pittsburgh. Very, very possible he comes out of those first three games without like a very stellar performance, without really doing a lot for your fantasy team. But then after that, he gets Jacksonville, Green Bay, and Detroit. So if the team that drafted Chase in your league is down on him after those first two, three games, I'm making an offer. Like I'm in there, I'm making an offer and seeing if they're going to sell him to me. Hopefully he's a guy I can keep on my bench for that Jacksonville game, see what happens. And if he plays well, I'm willing to start him against Green Bay in week five. But if we look at Justin Jefferson last season, it was the same case. I mean, he came out first two weeks, four fantasy points, seven fantasy points. Week three, he popped off for 30. So don't give up on Jamar Chase too early. He's got a lot of things he's working through. One, as a rookie in the NFL. Two, as someone who just took a year off of competitive football. So Jamar Chase, and those matchups are tough too. I mean, having... Um, having Pittsburgh and Chicago in week two and three isn't going to do them any favors. So be patient with Chase. And he's definitely someone I'm willing to hang on to if I already drafted him and someone I'm going to scoop in and make an offer for if someone for four, if someone else has him in your league. He's the equivalent of that Javante Williams or Trey Sermon where he should ascend as the year goes on, could be a league winner for you down the stretch. Love what you said there on him being a potential buy low once we're in season. I will say, the odds are against Jamar Chase to be a wide receiver one. Of 31 wide receivers taken in the first round of the NFL draft, only two of them have been wide receiver ones in their first year. Oddly enough, those guys are Justin Jefferson and Odell Beckham, both LSU products. But we've seen Jamar Chase line up with Justin Jefferson in that same wide receiver room. So... Could it happen again? Certainly. Am I expecting it? No, but should be a strong wide receiver too, which is exactly where you're getting him. And that upside is insane. I would love to have him as my flex down the stretch this year. And one more thing I'll say on taking him over Chase Claypool, because when you think of Chase Claypool, he's also like this athletic freak upside name. What I don't like about Chase Claypool is he's not quite as good of a skill set match with his quarterback. And we, we know Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow have this connection with Big Ben, we saw him decline down the stretch last year. We know both offenses have brutal offensive lines. The Steelers and the Bengals O-lines are not ones that get you excited. Then you add in the fact that in Pittsburgh, they have Eric Ebron, who is a tight end that needs to be considered, who is going to get his due in the Paxton game. And you add in the fact that Pittsburgh should be in much better game scripts with that dominant defense. So 
there you go. Shout out to whoever it was on our last video. Call me out for going chase over Claypool. But Alex, I think that's it for today's show. I'm so pumped up for the season. Kickoff is eight days away. We got Bucks, Cowboys to kick things off. Keep following with us throughout the season. We give our deep shots of the week. We get into start-sit decisions. We talk about all those big topics, whether it's about rookies that are breaking out, quarterback changes, injury impacts. Follow along with us all year. Of course, hit that Discord channel. We're in there doing live streams, giving you feedback on your waiver claims, whatever it is. Talk fantasy with us and the community. Been loving the traction we're getting in there. And as always, a like and a sub on YouTube. Greatly appreciated. A review on podcast platforms greatly appreciated as well and hit up that manscaped if you really want to support the show but thank you all so much for listening and watching and we'll see you next time peace peace